You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. On Max's Island today, I'm joined by Dylan Lamb. Dylan, welcome to the island. Thanks. Uh, I don't know whether to call you Max or Tony, but yeah, thanks either for way. to be here. <laughs> yeah, I rock to either. Not a problem. Dylan, on Max's Island, we love to hear stories of that time in people's lives where something significant perhaps happened to them or when they made a decision to do something that really changed their life or they just chose to turn their back on the world and, and follow a bit of a passion. Do you have a situation in your life that um, where one of those things may have occurred? I do. I think um, I've got a few, but yeah, I've got one that happened to me earlier this year that I think is really pertinent that I'd, I'd love to share and uh, unpack with you, with, with you, Max, uh, here today. Dylan, often we hear stories that have happened years ago. So to have something that is as current as this year will be interesting, I'm sure, for the listeners on Max's Island. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's probably best described as a, a spiritual emergency, you know, this kind of culmination of events in my life that happens. Um, so I'm 30 years old. I am originally from Kalgoorlie, uh, lived most of my life in Perth. But moved. I live in uh, Brisbane now, so I'm, I'm chatting to uh, yeah from Mianjin from Brisbane today. Uh, moved to Brisbane about a year ago. Yeah, moved to work for a tech startup, and have really enjoyed my life in Brisbane. But yeah, had this sort of thing happen to me a couple months ago actually, and I'd love to yeah share more and talk about that today. What I learned, uh, what happened, what I'm still learning from this kind of spiritual emergency in my life um some pretty like full-on stuff so I'm going to speak quite candidly and, and plainly today about what happened and kind of about my journey all through my 20s yeah I've kind of just um, really confronted um, personally as a human being um, as an entrepreneur um, as a really passionate and creative person so Dylan it obviously sounds like this thing that occurred to you early this year wasn't planned it was something that just happened yeah, spot on. Drugs are involved. I quit my job. Um, I resigned uh, from a job I really enjoyed, but that was not conducive to my well-being and wasn't a, a long-term uh, role uh, as an employee that where I was really going to thrive. 
Yeah, so I, I kind of, um, I guess I quit my job and um, all these things were happening in my life. I signed up to do this um, entrepreneurial like training program um, with a big VC. I was meeting all these amazing people, um, traveling a lot. And uh, yeah, pretty much the way I would sort of like describe it in a nutshell was I got drug, like spiked with drugs, but was also that was kind of fused with a, a really difficult series of moments with my mental health and my journey. So I've got like a lot of lived experience, um, both sides of my family with anxiety, depression, um, and also like bipolar disorder, which I've learned a lot about recently, but with what happened to me pretty much. So some illicit substances were involved, not quite sure what they were, but yeah, I pretty much had this kind of like um, about a seven to 10 day period. Uh, So this was just after I'd resigned from this job and I actually got arrested through all of this. Dylan, this situation where you're exposed to the spiking, the drugs, was it in an environment that you willingly went into and that it was a circumstance that occurred or was it something that you were in a, in a situation that you were unfamiliar with? Yeah, good question. So I think I invited what happened to me and I actually, from, from my memory and from my recollection, was drinking one of my favorite drinks which was a local kombucha <laughs> so I'm a very healthy person so it's um yeah I, I think I'm in one of the most physically one of the most healthy um moments of my life but in that point I was mentally you know um like bi- bipolarity which I'll get to in like later in the chat is like mental instability and it's you know having swinging from a stable sort of reality sort of state into an unstable version of reality so I think in hindsight, I, I did it consciously, but at the time in the moment, I didn't realize what was happening. And I was really sort of like out of whack, I guess. So I hadn't been sleeping much, um, traveling a lot. I had lots on my mind. Um, so I, like, I'm a very sort of high functioning person. I'd consider myself neurodiverse, very passionate about ideas and innovation and change in the world. Uh, and I sort of hang around interesting people and love discussing, you know, the future and, and ideas and even just really getting to know and connect with someone on a human level. So, yeah, I was living in a share house at the time that I no longer live in with a, with a housemate uh, that I thought was a friend. And it's just this weird, really weird series of events. Uh, but, you know, perhaps I wasn't even spiked or drugged. It was just me doing it. But part of me doesn't really want to know and unpack it <laughs> because I lost a lot of money. I'm a very good person. Um, I've had a very clean history. I've, you know, smoked marijuana maybe five times, um, mostly as a young adventurous, early 20-somethings uh, in, in America. So I'm half American. But this kind of just happened to me. And, and I can remember this sort of seven to 10-day 10, 10 period quite vividly. And I didn't get much sleep at all. Um, I ended up, uh, my mother flew over from Perth to help me out. And it was a really challenging time for me personally, but also I put a lot of burden on my family. You know, they they thought I was going really well in Brisbane and, and kind of thriving and had a great job. And I'd spoken to them a lot about my thoughts to resign and, and what I wanted to do with the future of my life. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur again and um, find a job that I could really thrive and I could sort of realise my potential. I think that I think a lot about self-actualization. And yeah, this happened like I, and I had the best time, like when I got arrested, it was like, once I realized I was safe and that I wasn't going to overdose on this, these drugs that are in my body, 
I just really enjoyed the moment. <laughs> it sounds pretty crazy, but... Dylan, you were obviously bored into the situation by your housemate, by the sounds. Mm. But then you talk about being a seven to 10 day experience. So in that time, were you on your own the whole time? Were you in and out of situations where there are other people? Uh, I'm just curious about the continuity of that seven to 10 day period and whether the impact of that came from a short event at the start of that period, or was there things that happened during, during the course of that time? Yeah. So like, I think there was kind of like this first phase, um, first few days where um, I was traveling a lot. I went to an event in Sydney through this program I was doing. I actually spent a few nights like homeless. So sleeping outside, I spent one night sleeping on the street in Sydney. How did you feel that about was, that? Had, had you ever done that before? Had I had I, I had done it before. You know, a lot of my work, I mean, you could relate to this working in the social sector in WA where so many people are trying to like solve homelessness. And I've often thought, you know, how can you empathize? Like empathy and design is a big thing in my work I do. And I'm like, you can, you know, how do you like the, one of the definitions of empathy is put yourself in their shoes. How can you understand and empathize with homelessness? Well, you can be homeless. So give it a go. You know, they do like CEOs, homeless sleep out, but you're in a warm sleeping bag and you've got hot soup and there's a thousand other people there that you can socialize with. That's not homelessness. So I was like, cool. Like, you know, I want to give it a go. And I was also just sort of like, I have this tendency in my life. This is one of the things I'm really sitting with of being like spontaneity, but making bad decisions in the moment. So this was where this kind of culmination. And I think this spiritual emergency emerged for me. And I made some, yeah, some bad decisions. You know, I, I, um, I think at one stage I thought I'd been microdosed. There was, I suspect some really a big culture in the professional world at the moment in Australia of like microdosing drugs, both like legal and illegal. I think that's, um, there's a lot of research and stuff. Um, I've, I've read a lot about organizations in the US and abroad, and it's something I'm pretty interested in is like neuroscience. And like, there's a term called like biohacking where you can actually use substances, even like, you know, water, sugar, um, alcohol, all these sorts of things. But it's very, there's a big gray area, I think, at the moment around drugs, um, a lot of synthetic drugs on the market. So I think I thought I was microdosed illegally, like someone had been dosing my drinks at work or this tech startup I was working for was involved. But I think that was just me sort of, I was in an unhealthy mental state. Um, so I have been diagnosed with depression earlier in my life, definitely had anxiety on and off, but through off the back of this sort of um, process, I came back to Perth and I was actually diagnosed uh, bipolar. Um, so my American uh, grandfather was um, like unstable bipolar. Um, he was brilliant lawyer, very intellectual man. And he very sadly passed away um, in a psychotic episode in America. It's a really sort of traumatic moment in my American family, particularly with my mum. You know, something I've never really spoken about before and, and even only came to learn quite recently in connecting with my mother and I obviously live in Australia. I haven't, I've spent very limited time in America with my family understanding, you know, 50% of my genes and 50% of, you know, my family and my life. I'm, I, I'm an American Australian, but I'm, I'm really a born and bred Aussie. But I feel like I kind of graduated through this experience, through all this like trauma and this mental illness and just mental like shit in my life. And I'd always been curious and wanted to try all these things, right? Like ayahuasca or like hallucinating, like psychedelics, transcendental meditation, 
um, all these things. And it happened to me in this, like it culminated in my arrest. I got um, taken to Princess Alexandra Hospital here in Queensland. Very sadly, I called my mum on a payphone. She flew over freaking out and came and kind of rescued and saved me. And I remember um, being sedated in the hospital and I was like uh, meditating my own death. I was confronting every fear uh, that I'd ever thought in my life. Can I just take you back one step? Mm. You talked about being in Sydney. Mm. You talked about being in Queensland. So during this period of seven to 10 days, you were still functioning well enough to, to be able to travel, to be able to you know, continue to live. I've got two questions. The first one is, were you ever physically tested to see whether there was any substance in you? And then secondly, can you recall how you felt in that period of time and whether that was something that you were enlightened by or were you really struggling through that period? Mm. Um, so I was tested. I actually, by both state health systems, so Queensland and WA, I haven't actually looked at the results and diagnosed um, and figured out what I took. I definitely believe some people, you know, my mother and other people are convinced they think it was just a me being psychotic and I didn't take anything. But there was definitely like my body chemistry. Um, I knew, you know, I'm, I'm a triathlete, I'm, you know, in, I'm, I'm running my first marathon in a few weeks time. I'm very fit and healthy. But yeah, wasn't sleeping, um, was definitely, you know, there was some instability there for sure in that first phase. But yeah, I've, part of me doesn't, you know, there's a lot of work for me. Like I'm not speaking to the person that was involved. The police were involved. My girlfriend at the time was involved as well. Um, so it was very complex situation. That, and it, 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 in many ways, like I think it's funny and enjoyed the, the experience, but it cost me a lot of money. And it's a very dark sort of chapter of my life as well. So part of me, you know, do I need to know? And do I need to go and find out what I took? Um, I definitely wouldn't take it again. Uh, like I, I kind of want one, one way I've, I've tried to reconcile it with myself is go like, I thought I was microdosed, but I was in this kind of like mild bipolar state where I was elated and unstable. And then I took a macrodose of something that just tipped me over the edge. And so I was arrested for swimming in the Brisbane River. Um, I was at the time in my mind confronting my fear of sharks so the, the Brisbane River, the brown snake is the colloquial name, is infested with bull sharks. And I uh, ran out at this great spot in South, um, South Bank. There's this little beautiful grassed area and this beautiful little beach, this moat. They, they have all these great concerts there. And I was laying in the sun meditating. And then I was like, I'm going to just, I ran into the Brisbane River as if I was starting a triathlon. And I was like, there's no sharks in the Brisbane River. I'm going to go swim and prove everyone wrong. What and, time of um, the day was that? It was, there's actually CCTV footage of this. So I knew in my mind that I would do it under CCTV. So I was still sort of strategic and kind of protecting myself and my health and well-being in, in this weird and wacky way. Um, it was the middle of the day. I'm pretty sure it was 2 p.m. Um, there's like, a, I've got the police reported when I was arrested. And I swim in, I remember just sort of sitting there, laying, like I swam out to the middle of, of the river. Um, and then I'm just you know, I realized I was like, you're not doing a triathlon, you're swimming in the river. So I was kind of in and out of, you know, hallucinating in my mind, but still physically like the senses, you know, the water. And I actually felt, I remember feeling a shark touch my, or a fish touch my nibble at like the, the dead skin on the bottom of my foot. 
And I opened my eyes and looked up and I was like, shit, there are sharks in this river. <laughs> and um, that was after actually someone had already screamed from the shore, you know, saying, hey, what are you doing? You're crazy. The shark's in the river. Like, come back here. I was clearly at that stage, people started, bystanders started to think that this guy's on, on something and they called for help. And I eventually swam into the shore. I clung to a pylon and I just meditated there. And that's the police that arrived by that stage and they asked me to come out. And I was in this weird state where I thought like, like water was safe for me. So water's a, it's like a flow trigger for me. It brings me, um, I've really missed the ocean and living near the ocean being in Brisbane. I don't get to go to the ocean as much as when I was in Perth. So for me, it was really safe then. And it was like, I was kind of coming down. I felt a bit like going in and out of these states, but water was safe and the sharks weren't going to hurt me. You know, they were my friends. <laughs> so I, I had the cuts from all the barnacles for days. Like I forgot at a hospital days later. And um, eventually I realized it got cold and it was quite muddy. Um, the river's very turbid um, and, and a lot of um, suspended sediment and that. And I eventually just walked up to the rocks and the police, yeah, arrested me and put me in the back of a paddy wagon, put the aircon on. A little bit more ensued, but I yeah, got driven to the hospital and eventually got sedated and, and my mum was there in the hospital. She'd flown over from Perth and, and they knocked me out with some pretty heavy um, sedative and I woke up, you know, and then... I was like, okay, yeah, definitely back in reality now. There's my mum. We stayed in Brisbane for a few days. She helped me kind of, um, like, I thought I was going to move back to Perth because I was like, some weird shit's gone down in Brisbane. My mum was freaking out. You know, I'm 30 years old as well. And and part of me regrets, I mean, I don't hold regrets in my life, but I kind of wish I'd just dealt with it myself. But I was really concerned at one stage there for my own health and well-being, like, especially when I thought, or was suspected that someone had drugged me. And I was like, why would someone drug me? When you were released from hospital, did you feel that that was a turning point and the episode had com completed? You know, those seven to 10 days before were in isolation and then that there was now clear air, there was a clear vision, there was, you know, you were moving forward and you'd had, had broken away from that psychotic episode? Yeah. Yeah, so at that stage, I didn't even identify it as psychosis. So my mum was, yeah, it was like an experience with my mum that I'd never had before. And, um, you know, I've, I've not had children yet. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have children, but I've really tried to empathise with what that experience would have been like for my mum. And I'm really disappointed in a way in myself for putting her through that, especially when her father, you know, died in psychosis, bipolar. He was heavily medicated on, on lithium as far as, uh, I'm aware. And, and that triggered a lot in her, you know, she thought at one stage I was going to die and that I had just all of a sudden out of the blue, like I'd been undiagnosed bipolar for years. But for me, like I'd actually just seen my mum a few weeks prior. So she came over for the Easter long weekend. We had an amazing time camping. We had dinner with my Gold Coast, dinner with my girlfriend in the Gold Coast. And we went camping for a couple of days up in the Sunshine Coast, did some really nice hikes. So I'd seen her three weeks prior. So to see her again, and I was like, mom, so good to see her. And we were staying in a hotel in the city. I was I'd, uh, moving out of my apartment and the relationship obviously with my housemate was on ice. And my girlfriend's been very supportive. You know, we're still dating and, and she's been amazing through the whole experience. But yeah, I was, I saved my mom was there and I was like, okay, I'm back in reality now. Like, and this is, you know, I'm fine. I've started to obviously my body chemistry brain chemistry in particular was 
I, I was like, I'm stable again. This is like life as I remember it. But mum was then really freaked out because she's like, what the fuck happened? Like you were fine four weeks ago. And like I'd lost. So in that experience, I'd lost my phone, my laptop, my wallet, all my identification. For me, like in my life, it was like the great reset. Forget about all the technology in your life. Just get back to being human. You know what, where those things went, your phone, mm. your laptop, and, and, and you know, your, your, your identity in terms of credit cards and driver's license and all of those things? Yeah, I, I threw it away. Um, I remember it exactly. Um, mum actually helped me retrace my steps to try and find them because she's like, if you remember where your things, mum would always say when we, you'd lose your keys and your phone in your wallet as kids, she's like, just retrace your steps. Where do you last remember having it? So, yeah, part of that, what happened is I got a, I was speeding on my motorbike. This was in the sort of early phase of what happened to me. Um, I just received a fine, a $450 fine for that. So that I've got like a data point of that actually happening, confirming it. But I parked my motorbike. I, I was, I thought I was being tracked and followed. So I was in this really kind of paranoid state, very anxious, a lot of fear, not sleeping. This was in the middle of the night. And I disposed of my motorbike. I threw away my keys and I threw away my wallet and all my identification. I threw it in a drainage pit. Sounds just crazy, right? But it was really liberating in the moment because I was like, what do I need to do to feel safe? And to feel safe, because I'd worked for a tech startup and I'd worked for a company that everything was tracked. Everything, there was a, a, a chip in every vehicle, in every asset. We, had, we even had business cards that had chips in them and there was one of those in my wallet. So I had this kind of paranoid state where I was like, what if my wallet's trackable and my phone, I'd used my personal phone for the company. There were all these apps, all these accounts that were linked to that phone. Um, and I'd worked, you know, in a 24 seven operational environment where a lot of people had access to my things. So that is what I needed to do in that moment. And I trusted myself to make those decisions. And like, I'm really proud of myself even still now that I did that. It cost me a lot of money. <laughs> do you really think by doing that, when you did come out of hospital and had the chance to reset, that it actually made it a little easier that you had that line drawn in the sand where you had disposed of everything and that you were able to start afresh and look forward. Yeah. In your description of what's happened, you have always given the impression that you are looking forward at this. Like, for example, you said your mum wanted to know what happened, but you didn't really... Mm. That was beyond, that was past for you and you were looking about coming out of it. Mm. Yeah. So there's, there's been a lot of me, like, it's like we're in the present moment now, right? There's the past and then there's the future. And so in that moment when, so my mum flew over, helped me, I think we were in Brisbane for about four days and three nights. And um, I ended up reimbursing her for the, her flights over and the hotel we stayed in. But yeah, I was going back to the past and making sense of what happened. Like me and my mum were like detectives right? together. And I, it was really fun for me. It probably wasn't so fun for my mum. When I flew, flew back to Perth, I couldn't even sit next to her on the plane. Um, we were luckily on this kind of red eye flight and I sat in the back and I just wanted like to give mum some space because she, what I'd put her through the last few days was crazy. But I actually spent most of the flight in the toilet um, and I just wept. Right. I cried like I was like a six-year-old kid again because I was like there was this kind of just outpour of emotion that I was safe and I was going back to my home to Perth with my mother 
And I had to just sort of let all that out because what I had been through, you know, like condensed in the last seven, seven days was just crazy, absolutely crazy. And when I got home with mum, we were having a cup of tea from the airport. I can still remember the moment actually, like I was meditating in the, in the, the, uh, in the back of my seat with my eyes closed and I was like landing the plane. Like I was like, just bring me and touch me back down on Budja on like country in Perth where I'm from, where I've lived most of my life with all my family and friends. But yeah, I got home and I was having a cup of tea with mum and I should have just gone and had some sleep. But at this point, because I have a very scientific mind, I was trained as an engineer. I was like, I need to get a toxicology screen and figure out because whatever happened, there's still traces of it in my body and I want to know, you know. So I asked mum to take me to Fiona Stanley Emergency and self-admitted and reported there. And 14 hours later, I didn't sleep. So overnight I was there. I think it was noon the next day i finally got you know the the psychologist and he was um a trained psychiatrist from india and he diagnosed me that was the initial diagnosis i got given as bipolar and all i wanted like I, in hindsight i should have slept at mum's and just gone to a private laboratory and got a tox screen you know hair blood things like that and just um i eventually sort of figured it out through, through other means and but um, I was like, okay, so you've self-admitted to the, the WA health system now. You've just been through the Queensland health system. I just had to live in that moment and, and sit with that decision. Um, that was really hard. And then news started to spread amongst my family. So both my parents were there. And this was a great kind of inquiry for me into like neuroscience and understanding like my genetic coding and my, my genes, my family history. And I have like amazing parents. Um, I love them to bits, but there is a lot of kind of lived experience and people that live with mental, I don't even like the term mental illness. You know, I think it's, we all have mental condition and we exhibit behaviors in our lives. And I've really come to understand, you know, bipolar is a disorder and it's just, you know, I've had periods in my life of really bad depression, you know, mild, moderate depression where I've had to take antidepressants. I've struggled in Perth through winters. I've quit jobs or changed jobs. That's why entrepreneurship has been a real kind of catalyst for me to find work like and create my own work and stuff that really brings me joy. But I've gradually over time put things into my life, like the discipline of athletics and endurance training is really good for my mental health and physical health and kind of is a preventative measure for me ever being depressed. You know, I'm up at 5 a.m. some mornings in Brisbane going running. Um, it, you know, it's, it's winter here and I love it. That, that discipline is really good for my mental health. But um. Yeah, and the WA health system, you know, I was like, this is more data points. And I was like, you've admitted yourself here, you're, you know, and I, I agreed with that initial diagnosis. I was like, yeah, that, that helps to explain what's happened to me the last seven to 10 days. I, I thanked the psychologist. I, I kicked my mom, my parents out of the, the temporary bay in emergency. And he wrote me a, a, an emergency script for a sedative and I went home and slept. Um, I stayed at my dad's for the next sort of 10 days. And I just got back to baseline. You know, that was my focus was health is wealth. And what have you learned from this experience? I, I went and caught up with some amazing friends that kind of coached and counseled me through it. And that's when one of my really good friends is, one of my good friends, Rob, 76 years old. And he said, do you've had a spiritual emergency? You know, he didn't believe me when I first told him, but then, you know, weeks later, as we kind of kept doing sessions and talking about it, he helped me make sense of the past. Part of that is also, you know, my psychological health and well-being and working with you know there's some amazing people in the health system uh, i've got this newfound appreciation for 
like neuroscience, like psychiatry, psychotherapy, um, but this really fresh perspective on my life and who I am. Your story has been one of incredible vulnerability to share it with the listeners on Max's Island. I get the sense, though, for you, whilst there's some parts of that period of time that you know you probably regret, but at the same time, the experience in totality has allowed you to get some perspective, as you just said, and be able to be in a position where you can reconcile what happened. And, and that perhaps, as you said, explains where you are as an individual and, and opens your eyes as to where you want to go and what you want to do into the future. So just as we finish up uh, your visit to Max's Island, is there any advice you would have to somebody else out there who maybe in hindsight look back at a period of their time and go, that was pivotal in, in, in their life and in, in particular about understanding how those things can really influence yourself going forward. And, you know, we, you and I both um, have that interest in the neuroscience. So that, that positive growth and that growth attitude any thoughts as you leave Max's Island to share with our listeners around that? Mm. I think um, I don't have any regrets. So I'm really glad and proud of what happened and sharing even the vulnerability. I appreciate you, you saying that. And it's been fantastic to be a guest here and share this story. Talking about it really openly with others has been huge for me. So I think we're all trying to make sense of the past, right? And create a better future. A good friend of ours, Claire, you know, she coaches me a lot around mastering moments. And I think I had a series of moments. Some of them I did master in the past, but I can master moments a lot better now into my future. So I think just enjoy and live in the moment. You've got to back yourself and life is, you know, finite. You know, we're all going to, you know, come and go one day, but I just want to keep living and enjoying my life and having great moments. And hopefully in the future, I can master them better than I did in the past. Dylan, thanks for being on Max's Island. Continue to be in the moment and continue to look for that entrepreneurial opportunity that I know that you're, you're looking for and, and I'm sure it'll be something that'll satisfy you for the next period of time in your life. Thanks for having me, Max. I, I better uh, swim home now. Just make sure there's no bull sharks. <laughs> hey, I'll be riding one back to, back to Brisbane. <laughs> thanks, Dylan. Thanks. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, oh work and no play. And how, how had it turned out this way? He told me his plan, a short-term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track.
track Every sense was engaged His mind was as clear as the sky Completely alone No emails or phone and 